0: please if this is your first time tuning in welcome or of course welcome back to those that have been listening we are rebellious pr a full service public relations agency headquartered in portland and los angeles our goal you might ask amplifying the stories of these diverse companies by telling stories worth hearing we bring raw ideas fresh insights unique expertise and cultural competency we are rebellious because our clients disrupt industries to create revolutionary work and we're committed to disrupting our own industry with PR done better. So I am here to help take you through this pod. Welcome. I am Megan Jones. Um, please, of course, head on over to our sound club, Rebellious PR. Download us essentially wherever you can snag your podcasts. We're going to be there. You're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. All the things. So head on over. Make sure you follow and listen to our previous episodes. Um, follow our adventures on Instagram, Twitter, all of the fun social handles at Rebellious um, on our show with us, as always, founder and CEO, Evie Smith. <gasps> Happy New Year, or
1: whenever you're listening to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is the new year, though. It is, it is important to note we are in 2021. We have successfully made it uh, into 2021. Um, and, of course, with us, our senior account manager, Tatiana, Tati, better known, uh, Skomsky. <laughs> welcome, Tati. Hi, Welcome. Hi! 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 So good to have you here for this uh, conversation. Um, of course, our theme this season is all about trailblazers and how they're cutting through the noise. I think that that's something as publicists, we're always aiming to do. On today's show, we have Amanda French of Emmy. Uh, Amanda is the co-founder and CEO of Emmy, a femtech company that is revolutionizing birth control, y'all. Um, Emmy actually invented the first smart connected pill case for birth control pill management. So. Welcome Amanda, thank you for being here today.
2: Yeah, hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely, and we're super, super excited to have you here and talk about this. Um, You know, obviously some of the most notable and disruptive inventions of tomorrow require, you know, a big change in the way we interpret things today. So in the way we perform tasks and the technologies and resources we have access to. So super excited uh, to talk about you and how you got your start and of course, what we all know to be Emmy today. So, uh, I'm going to kick the things over to Evie cause I know she's like burning to, to get at, at this, at this question here.
1: Yeah. Well, I know. And Amanda, um, I feel like we, you know, I met you so early in your journey too. So I feel like I've been cheerleading for you for a long time, but for those who aren't as close as you and I are, um, I'd love to just hear a little bit, um, about your story and, um, how Emmy came to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it has been fun. Um, We met several years ago, so it's been fun to follow each other from afar and then now to be working with you. Um, So to start just a little bit of my own story, I am a mechanical engineer by training, and I always knew that I wanted to innovate in the healthcare space. And so before starting Emmy, my experience really had been as a product designer and an engineer, I developed innovative technology first in the cardiovascular space with really innovative heart valves, and then in the hearing aid space with one of the world's most innovative hearing aids. And I just loved doing that, you know, bringing new products to market. Um, and the story for Emmy really all started when I decided to take a year to go back to school. I attended a program called Stanford Biodesign which is a program that really teaches a very process-driven approach to healthcare innovation. So it's a one-year program. I was paired up with a physician who is my co-founder in the company, and we were given full access to Stanford hospitals and clinics to really observe um, as many unmet needs as we could find. We were tasked with finding hundreds of unmet needs, and I was just really blown away and disappointed at the lack of innovation that i saw in women's health specifically especially coming from such innovative industries in healthcare where i really knew what was possible yet when i looked in women's health in almost every category from well woman to labor and delivery to menopause there were very few innovations and i knew that we could do better and so i set out to create emmy really with the vision and mission of creating a lifelong women's health brand that brings forth new technology. And we're starting with the missed pill problem because it's one of the most classic common experiences almost every person on the pill has at some point. Um, And yet there was no innovation. So that's where we decided to start.
1: That's amazing. Um, What is happening at like the boundaries of your industry right now that you're like super excited about?
2: That's a a good question. It's, It's interesting thinking about some of the boundaries, which I think need to be pushed so much further than they are when it comes to women's health. I mean, to share a little bit more context about what we're specifically doing at Emmy. as you mentioned, we commercialized the first smart birth control pill case, which tracks and manages and helps people take the pill on time. Um, And I'm both honored and a little disappointed that 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 itself is pushing the boundaries, right? When we look Mm -hmm. at the history of contraception, of birth control pill management, There not only had been such a lack of innovation since the pill was invented back or brought to market back in the 60s, but there's been so much taboo only until recently people really felt the need to hide their contraceptive choices. And socially for so many decades, it was, it was really only considered socially acceptable to be on the pill if you were at a certain age, a certain marital status. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about what does it look like to push the boundaries at Emmy, but also what's pushing the boundaries in healthcare more broadly, I think what we're finally seeing is that trend where People are able to take their healthcare into their own hands with the tools that they need in order to do that and without shame. So we're really focused on how do we reduce the stigma and shame that can come with managing medication, especially one as sensitive as the pill, because I think the more that people can talk about it and normalize it, then we can finally start to bring solutions forward that actually solve these problems.
1: And maybe like the Supreme Court doesn't need to get involved in what people's birth control methods are and if their insurance is are going to cover it. So,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, I think that part even goes without saying, but that's another example where um, it is pushing the boundaries to have these types of conversations about What decisions do women and people get to make about their own bodies? At Emmy, we've partnered with Planned Parenthood and we're very strong supporters of their business for birth control initiative, which is just one of the many ways that, you know, we're putting a stake in the ground to say, we do believe that everybody deserves access to the pill whenever they need it or want it. Um, But nationally, that's, that's certainly not something that's been
0: taken for granted. What a revolutionary idea. Jeez. You know, I mean, <laughs> right? it, it's, it's kind of crazy uh, to think about it in, in those terms, you know, um, Absolutely, that's crazy. So um, to, to kind of kick it over to Tati, I know this was a, a question that she had when we were, when we were thinking about, um, you know, who, who we were going to interview and, and sort of, you know, why. Uh, so I'm going to let her kind of go into our, our next. Yeah.
3: Um, so we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I want to know more and specifically, um, maybe if you can get into a little bit of your personal story around what your why was, um, and why you were trying to solve that. Why?
2: Yeah. That's um, such an important question to me because Emmy really is a very mission-driven organization. Our mission is to put women's health in women's hands, and that really does describe the root of the why for me. I was inspired to start the company after conversations with literally hundreds of women just about what wasn't working for them about the healthcare system today. And that's one of the interesting things about the biodesign process and design thinking more broadly is the training really emphasizes a focus on just understanding what do people need? What does it look like to meet them where they are? And through so many conversations, I heard from people firsthand about the stress that they experienced and the life-changing impact that they experienced Um, as a result of the tools that they did or didn't have available to them. And specifically when it comes to the pill, I was shocked and then not so shocked when I learned that nearly a million women on the pill have an unplanned pregnancy each year as a result of the the 9% failure rate that the pill has in average use. And this 9% failure rate really is driven almost exclusively by just a lack of adherence, which means people are missing pills every month. And it was one of those simple things that I think we took for granted. I mean, I missed pills. um, Almost every person that I knew stressed about missing the pill. And yet that was just taken for granted as a part of life, something that you just have to deal with if you're on the pill. But after just realizing how big this, the impact of this was, not only the nearly a million unplanned pregnancies each year, but also just all of the symptoms and side effects and hormonal roller coasters that people go on simply because they don't have the right tools. I really felt so motivated to do better in the industry and to build a product that I felt like really reflected the most important unmet need that people had in this category. And so, you know, broadly speaking, the why really is all about the actual patient and the woman and the person on the pill. And I look at almost every other industry and technology, which we were so lucky, you know, everything um, today is so modern. You can get almost anything at the touch of a hat. You can get almost any service from your phone. You can track anything you want. And yet that just wasn't true for the pill or for women's health care more broadly. And so we really are motivated to advance this as quickly
3: as we can. And I think that that's so important that one of the things that I really resonated with um, with Emmy was that um, taking that shame away um, from women or people on the birth control pill, like you sort of touched on, you know, um, oh, I guess this is just a problem that I have to deal with. And it's like, mm-hmm. no. or You know, sort of reminding people that they're not alone. They're not the only one that misses their pills, and it's not their fault. And I think that that's so important in changing the narrative around women's health and birth control specifically.
2: Absolutely. That's so important to us. And if you think of, um, you know, the experience of buying a pregnancy test, for example, there are millions and millions of women and girls and people each year who go to the pharmacy or the drugstore, and they're in the position where they're buying a pregnancy test that uh, maybe they weren't expecting to be in that position. And I think classically there's even shame associated with that experience. A lot of people will throw candies and magazines and other things, you know, in their basket so that by the time they're going to the register, there's not so much attention on that. And- Mm -hmm. I was amazed from our market research to learn that at least 42% of people on the pill take at least one pregnancy test each year because of that experience and not understanding what their status is. And there's just, there has been so much shame even in that basic purchase and that experience. And so our goal is to normalize all of these experiences by talking more about them, sharing our research, sharing these statistics, because I think so many people feel like they're the only one um, and yet there are millions and millions of people in the U S alone having this type of experience. So it's, it's so common. And I think it's really
0: important to shine a light on that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go, Megan.
0: No, no, no. I was just having a conversation, uh, like yesterday, the day before, and it's like, you know, at 38 years of age, like I'm still learning things about my own period <laughs> yeah. and like my cycle. And so it's like, I, I can't even imagine, you know, um, and, again, I grew up, you know, like, Catholic, where, like, that was not talked about. It was, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you had sex one time, you were going to get pregnant. So, right. like, and no talk of, you know, um, any sort of contraception, really. Um, so, yeah, it's just, like, it's so interesting um, how we're sort of, like, missing the loop. And there is this, like, stigma just in general with with anything related to that. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, feel
0: strongly
1: about that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Megan and I talk about constantly how we're about the same age and it's like, I can never, one day I'm going to get the hang of my period. I know, it's always a surprise every month. (laughs) And honestly, like, I'm like, I turn 40 next month and I'm like, when is menopause happen because that actually sounds like a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> but I mean in all seriousness it's you know the the birth control thing and the um pregnancy like going to buy a pregnancy test I had a friend who um Uh, we were in our, I don't think we were 30 yet. And she was like from the small town that we lived in, in in Santa Cruz and was like, had been homecoming queen and all of these things. And even though she was married, she was like, can you go in and buy the pregnancy test? Because everybody knows me and my family. And I was like, I guess so. And then like, I was like, Oh shit, are people going <laughs> to know me and talk about me? But, um, you know, there is, there very much is that stigma. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's companies like yours that are really, you know, brick by brick, um, dismantling, dismantling the, the, the stigma that's kind of been built around by, by the patriarchy. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, <laughs> what keeps you up at night other than thinking about how you're going to handle your next period? <laughs>
2: And actually, I mean, that ties to the, the broader thing that I think about all the time, which is what you and Megan just touched on. I feel like we're barely scratching the surface when it comes to delivering the level of information and care and access that all people with ovaries deserve to have. And this concept of being in your 30s and 40s and still learning about like, oh, do I, I don't really have to have horrible cramps. Like there are foods I can eat that can help with that. Or it's like, nobody was even taught that. And if you look at medical school textbooks, there are very small um, portions of those books that are actually focused specifically on the female anatomy and female body. And so what, what keeps me up at night is um, really the anxiety that that causes just this feeling that there's so much to do so much to tackle in women's health specifically in reproductive health. And I'm just thinking like, how can I do it faster? How can we get, how can we make more progress more quickly? And it's not through one company. I think it's through a coalition of so many companies that each are going to, you know, take, tackle one, one issue and one need at a time. Um, But I think just the state of, yeah, that all the myths that we were raised to believe and still believe and all the things that we're learning about our own bodies in our thirties, forties, fifties and beyond. Um, you know, it's exciting to think about what the future is going to look like, but it's also kind of sad and anxiety provoking to think of like, Oh, there is, there's just so much work ahead of us. Um, which is where I think being a very mission driven company and working with partners who, who share in that mission is just so critical because we are climbing a big mountain, but I know
3: that we're gonna get there.
1: Yeah, you have lots of support. We and wanna, we wanna see you guys succeed.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Um, well, speaking of anxiety, um, <laughs> <laughs> this next question is um, one of my favorites. Um, I'm curious, what's your relationship with imposter syndrome and you know what sort of things come up for you when I say the word <laughs> imposter syndrome?
2: I think imposter syndrome for so many people, including me, is kind of a lifelong journey. I remember first even learning about imposter syndrome in when I read Lean In, um, and just like, wow, that is a, definitely a feeling that's familiar. Of for some reason, thinking that everybody else at the table must be more qualified or must mm-hmm. must know more about what you're doing. Um, than you do, and I feel like one of the really cool things about my journey as a founder is that every year, every month, I chip away at pieces of imposter syndrome, and I think that's so important for every every founder and every person to realize. Um, one of the ways that I do it is just by surrounding myself with people who have much less imposter syndrome than I do, and specifically um, one of our independent board member Deb Kilpatrick, um, I vividly remember a conversation that I had with her um, with a group of people all in the organization, MedTech Women, where we were bringing up imposter syndrome. And she said, you know, what is what is that? I haven't even heard of that. And we described it, oh, well, Shirley, you must have, this must resonate. It's when you feel like you're not good enough. And she was like, I don't know. I really don't know what you're talking about. Like, why wouldn't I be good enough? It's not that I think I'm so much better than everybody else, but I just think we all have our strengths. And so, I have found it to be really critical to surround myself with people who have that type of attitude of like, why think in terms of limitations? Why think in terms of what might go wrong when there's so much that could go right? Um, And the truth is for a business, I mean, you really are the expert in your own business. And so I think with each day, um, I've definitely gotten much, much less imposter syndrome just by being able to see what we've been able to achieve at M.E., and really how needed my vision for the future of reproductive health is and how much it's resonating with people. I think it makes it a little bit easier to, to not doubt, um, what I'm doing and, and how I'm leading. Yeah.
1: I'm sure the, um, fundraising process too. Um, I feel like that for female founders, it just like really can pick you apart. Um, especially if you're going after something that is like for people with vaginas, it's just like, well, let me see if my wife would be interested in this, you know, like it's, it it can be really, really degrading. And, um, uh, I just so admire, uh, you and like everything you have accomplished with Emmy from like ideation to fundraising to now being like this uber successful, um, CEO and company.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And I mean, you're right. The fundraising experience and journey can be quite Grilling really for any founder because um, the numbers show, you know, you're going to get a lot more no's than yeses. And I think all the data around the lack of funding that female founders receive, um, I don't know, it, it can affect you in so many levels. I've had so many you know, quote unquote mentors approached me even before I started raising funds saying, oh, it's going to be much harder for you because you're a woman. You know, the data shows that I don't even know if you're going to raise. Mm-hmm. Um, allegedly trying to be helpful, but it's just, it's so unfortunate because I think if I had really listened to that and let the imposter syndrome get in the way, um, that might've been too intimidating to even put the first first foot forward. And so I think it's really important for um for that data about the lack of funding for female founders to be taken, you know in context but not taken too seriously because I know and you know there are so many talented founders out there that deserve the funding and we're working really hard to get there. And I think this stereotype that it's it's going to be so much harder, you know it's true there is less funding, but um, focusing on that can make it even more intimidating. So I think it's important to, to just really focus on the
3: business. That's a super helpful, like, point of view. I feel like Um, I haven't really thought about it that way, and I think that that makes so much sense. It's like um, that can almost, like, paralyze you a little bit in the process, Um, and you don't need any more odds against you when you're (laughs) a female founder raising
2: capital. I think it's just interesting, you know, that people feel so emboldened to – to come, you know, to approach a woman and say, oh, it's going to be harder for you. You're going to have a really tough time. Like there are certain categories and types of people where it's perceived as OK just to it's kind of like putting you down. Right. And I think I've loved figuring out who is my community, who are those people who are focusing on our long term vision and the successes that we're going to have Um and not, not be too distracting with really unhelpful advice
3: that turns out not even to be true. Yeah. Everyone has advice.
0: <laughs> and also, yeah, let's like, you know, I am I mean, obviously the data speaks for itself. So like, let's let that narrative live where it lives. And mm-hmm. like, cool, like we don't have to bring that up because that's just already, yeah. So exactly. I, I appreciate that as well.
3: Um, Well, I'm curious, um, have you had other company or product ideas that you have not chased after either in the past or maybe things for the future?
2: I definitely have. And I mean, it kind of ties to what I was saying is what keeps me up at night. And it goes back to my original experience at Stanford, because I had a full month to observe so many amazing things, you know, labor and delivery, everyday appointments that people were having with their providers. And part of our program was to identify 200 unmet needs. And so we had to come up with a list of 200 potential companies. And then through the training throughout the year, we were coached with a process for filtering these needs. So you filter them by market size, competitive landscape, um, prospects for IP and things like that um, to ultimately land on the most promising business opportunity, which for us really was Emmy, but it doesn't mean that the other ones that we looked at weren't also quite compelling. And specifically, there are so many other opportunities that I'm thinking about to really continue to innovate the cycle of care for really women, but also families. Also, I think the healthcare system in general, we're seeing there's been quite the acceleration of innovation um, over the past year. But My vision really is to build out this lifelong reproductive health brand where you download the ME app when you're maybe still in high school, maybe even younger, and then we can be that trusted guide and system to coach you through each of those life life stages so that maybe you know, in 20 years, 40-year-old women are like, yeah, I felt like I was an expert in my cycle ever since I was 15. Like, I'm tired of hearing all the stuff about all of the phases and think about how cool that would be, right? (laughs) So that's my vision is for us to really grow up as a brand with the next generation of people to empower them, not only with really important products, but with information and just with this Um, this type of companion. And so it's hard not to think about, there's so many ideas that would support that. And it definitely takes discipline. And it's been important for us to be focused today on this one core need. Um, But I feel like we're going to be coming out with ideas really, you know, for decades, and we'll still just be scratching the surface.
0: Yeah, I, I love to hear that. Because again, you know, having this kind of a conversation, you know, with my best friend about like literally just like yesterday. Um, And it's, I think, you know, I didn't even really know where to turn to, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not like I could turn to my mom, Um, you know, she wasn't really, I, I think again, a generational thing, right? Like probably embarrassing for her to maybe talk about. It, it wasn't until like, you know, I was in my twenties that we're having conversations about my period and, you know, uh, sex life and things mm-hmm. of that nature, you know? So I think again, having sort of that, that trusted, um, companion, that trusted, you know, friend, person, whatever, uh, that you can, uh, that you can go to is, is, like I would still welcome that now, you know. No, absolutely, uh, like, yeah. Not to give up on, yeah, not to give like, up on
2: our generation, but I think that's right. I mean, even today, people don't quite know where to go. Maybe you can ask your mom. Maybe you can ask your friend. Um, I, I hear the story over and over again from people about, you know, they Google search, "What do you do when you miss a pill." And somehow they walk away convinced that they're pregnant, even if they haven't been sexually active in the past month, just because, oh you read, You know, so many things come up that are not actually uh, relevant for your personal right. experience. And so um, I think it really that's the opportunity that we've seen within the ME app is just how do you be that daily touch point where people can track their symptoms and side effects and we then surface relevant articles and information based on guidelines from Center for Disease Control and more. And I think that need is only going to continue, right? Even as we have less taboo and more information in the future, it's going to, I think, even make more important the need for that really personalized companion that you can have a lifelong journey with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, I even think about, you know, again, women who are my age that, like have been through a number of gynecologists and like still haven't found the right guy now, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think also that's somewhat of a journey. So knowing, um, that you again, have a source that's reliable and, uh, you know, trustworthy is, is definitely something to, yeah. I'd love to have that takeaway. I'm curious, um, as we sort of kind of wrap our conversation up, you know, What advice do you think that you might have for first time founders?
2: Um, So, my advice for first time founders, I think, is really focused on the community and the network that you build because no founder is an expert in anything. And I started my business with a very strong background in medical device innovation and mechanical engineering. But that meant I had a lot to learn when it came to brand building and fundraising and building out a full business model. And I feel like I'm where I am today because I was just so willing to ask for help. And I really craved that, you know, building a company is kind of like going through business school um, at, you know, 10 times the pace. And I've just learned so much from people that I've reached out to and included in my network. And I've been really just amazed at how generous everybody is with their time. You know, So many founders have sat down with me to walk me through a specific question or concept and then I now do that in return. And I think it's just one of those industries and ecosystems that keeps trying to pay it forward because those of us who have built companies for several years know how much it took to get there and you really can't do it alone and you don't have to do it alone, right? Going back to the imposter syndrome question, I think A lot of people feel imposter syndrome simply because they think they're supposed to be the expert in everything. And if they're not, they're not good enough, which is so far from the truth. The truth is that we all have incredible strengths. And then the more you can surround yourself with people who are much stronger than you in as many categories as possible, the stronger the entire company is going to be and the faster you're going to be able to move. And I think that's true at every stage of a business, but especially those early foundational stages where... um, there's so much that you have to do even just to make it to the next milestone.
0: Well, let me say, that's a really great mindset to have because I, uh, I feel like, I think that there's some sort of like saying, and y'all push back on me if it's not, but like founders don't make the best CEOs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that is a
2: stereotype. absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I think like that's doing in part to like you know, framing their mindset to think like, okay, yes, this was my baby and this was my idea, but like, Mm -hmm. I need, I need the experts. I need the experts in the room who are going to be the experts in marketing or going to be the experts in, you know, business development or going to be the experts in sales or, you know, whatever insert category here. So I think that's honestly like a really refreshing mindset as a first time founder to, to come out with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> as a first-time founder as well, I'm like, I feel like somebody gave me that advice really early on as well. It's just like, like recognize what you're not good at really quickly and hire people who are, uh, and you will not regret it. And, um, yeah, it's definitely always my strategy. Um, I'm like more writers, more designers, more people who are better at pitching. <laughs> all all well, the such things. a
2: privilege to be able to work with such talented people. Mm-hmm. And I think there is that stereotype about founders as, you know, getting fired from their own companies and X, Y, Z. And I think um, that speaks to the importance of really having that growth and learning mindset Mm -hmm. and the willingness to build a community and not try to do everything yourself. And I think the founders who do that stick with their companies for such a long time Um, and investors like to see that too. So it's it's really a win-win. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I'm really looking forward to um, this journey for you, Amanda, because I need an Emmy in my pocket to... (laughs) to tell me all the things about my cycle that I am just, I have no clue about apparently still. So (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, that includes, you know, birth control too. So um, it's all, all a part of that. So I I really appreciate your time and and coming on to talk with us about it and, and your journey and Tati
1: and Evie, thank you for being
0: here with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah,
2: thank you so much for, for having me. This was a great conversation.
0: Absolutely. Um, and again, thank you all for tuning in to Pitch, Please. Um, as I said at the top of the pod, just, you know, follow, share all of the good things at Rebellious PR um, is where you can find us. And we will be back here soon enough chatting with more trailblazers who are cutting through the noise in their industry. Thanks. you.